And today our scripture is found in Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 2, and it's actually going to be the entire chapter, verses 1 through 13. This is Zechariah 2, verses 1 through 13. And it says, Then I looked up, and there before me was a man with a measuring line in his hand. I asked, Where are you going? He answered me, To measure Jerusalem, to find out how wide and how long it is. While the angel who was speaking to me was leaving, another angel came to meet him and said to him, Run, tell that young man Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of people and animals in it. And I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord. And I will be its glory within. Come, come, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord. For I have scattered you to the four winds of heaven, declares the Lord. Come, Zion, escape, you who live in daughter Babylon. For this is what the Lord Almighty says. After the glorious one has sent me against the nations that have plundered you. For whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye. I will surely raise my hand against them so that their slaves will plunder them. And then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me. Shout and be glad, daughter Zion, for I am coming and I will live among you, declares the Lord. Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. And I will live among you and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. The Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. Be still before the Lord, all mankind, because he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Before we pray together, I want to just pause and offer a word uh, of thanksgiving to Megan. Uh, She uh, all too humbly uh, ignored the fact that she uh, wrote that poem and it was an original And it was a real blessing to me, and I'm sure it was a blessing to each of you. So thank you, Megan, for blessing us. What a gift. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you thankful for your word, for the wisdom that's contained therein, and the opportunity we have to encounter you in this space, in this time. Uh, and to hear from you afresh today. Lord, I ask that you would open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear. Open our minds that we come to know and understand your word and your will. Open our hearts that we would feel its power. Then I ask, oh God, that you would open our hands that we would, as your servants, offer grace to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Did you hear that line? Whoever touches you, Touches the apple of my eye, declares the Lord. This is, this is the word of the Lord uh, spoken through the prophet Zechariah for the people of God who are in a challenging time and season. And the Lord speaks, whoever touches you, touches the apple of my eye. Uh, that apple of my eye just resonates deeply for me uh, with, with what we know of the love of a mother. Amen. What we know of the love of a mother, we know the love of a mother is the love of one who has their children as the apple of their eye. 
whenever I was uh, uh, hiking in Colorado in the Aspen Valley when my kids were young, uh, we were on a, a vacation with our family friends, the Hobsons, and we call these Burn Hob Vacations. Burnham, Hobson, you see what we did there? They're Burn Hob Vacations, and we traveled with them, and we were uh, at the base of the hike, and my buddy David was having elevation sickness, and if any of you know me in elevation, you know that's humorous because I get elevation sickness, but Dave was sick with elevation sickness. So I had uh, five kids and uh, my wife and uh, Emily Hobson with me, and we gathered at the base of the hike, and I gave them the rules for the hike. Uh, the rules for the hike were quite simple. Uh, there will be no complaining. <laughs> and the second rule is this, you will walk. Uh, you are not being carried. You will walk. And this is a hike for us to all appreciate uh, the goodness of God and to celebrate that. So we start up this trek to experience the beauty of Colorado Aspen Valley nature. And, and about a quarter of a mile, maybe a half of a mile in, the youngest at the time, Landry, who is uh, my sweetheart, darling Hobson girl. And uh, she looks up at me and she said, Mr. Jason... Will you carry me? I ignored her the first time, but the second or third time when she asked me that question, I said yes. And so I put her on my shoulders and we hiked up the mountain uh, in Colorado. I hiked up the mountain. We were on our way back down and I am leading the pack, just making sure that everything is safe and secure. And off to my left, as we're hiking down this trail, I see a bear. Not just any bear. I see a bear cub. Okay, so some of you get that because I felt it in your spirit when I said it. Some of you don't quite yet understand. I will be happy to see a bear. Uh, not happy, but I mean, I'm all right to see a bear. What I don't want to see is a bear cub specifically. I don't want to see a bear cub if I can't see the mama bear. Okay, so uh, I, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm surveying. I don't see the mama bear. I turn around and say, everybody, double time, double time down the mountain. And I have Landry on my, on my back like this, and we're running down the mountain. And I'm keeping my eyes out. We never see the mama bear. And why were we so concerned? Because there is no wrath on earth like a mama bear. And some of you mamas know that feeling. Like it's welled up within you, not all the time, but on occasion. I, I know I can witness in my wife, Lauren, uh, she uh, has a very kind of even keel demeanor. But every once in a while, when there is such an extraordinary threat upon her children, she just kind of has this, mm, you know, this ability to have something rise in her that is a protective, loving manner. And that is what we hear of God in this passage. God looks on his children. God looks on his people in their distress, in their despair. And he looks upon them and says, I will be your guard. I will be your protector. I am going to safeguard the apple of my eye. 
This apple of my eye uh, uh, imagery is not new uh, to Scripture uh, when we arrive in the prophet Zechariah. It first comes to us in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32. Now, uh, this is uh, at the close of Moses' teachings before, uh, before the people enter into the promised land. And he is articulating a word from the Lord. And it's a, a call of reminder of what God had accomplished for his people when they were enslaved in Egypt, when they were uh, in this great tribulation, and how God responded uh, in order to care for his people. In verse 10 of chapter Chapter 32, uh, we hear it recorded, in a land, a deserted land, he found him, that him is Israel. In a, des- in a desert land, he found Israel. In a barren and hollowing waste, he shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye. He shielded and guarded him as the apple of his eye. He found his child, his daughter Zion. He found the people Israel enslaved in Egypt. He cared for them. He shielded them. He guarded them, the apple of his eye, and led them into God's promise. But sometimes whenever we uh, encounter, uh, when, whenever we encounter tribulation or despair, we start to wonder, am I anyone's? apple of the eye is does anyone care for me guard me shield me in that sort of a way and we hear that that cry from David in the in the Psalms Psalm 17 verse 8 this is David in one of his uh, almost laments. He's crying out to God. In fact, the opening of this passage, this psalm is, Hear me, Lord, my plea is just listen to my cry. He's crying out to God. And so in verse 8, we hear what this cry is. Psalm 17, 8. Keep me, he's, he's speaking to God, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. You see, sometimes in our distress or our despair, we can imagine, we can, uh, we can concoct in our minds uh, an idea that is so destructive, this idea that we could in some way be removed from this favored, loving position with God. That, that, that our trials uh, are evidence that we are removed from God. And so we would cry out to God as David cried out to God, keep me, hold me in that place, secure me fast in the position, that loving position as the apple of your eye, oh God. And that is a resonant feeling for the people we encounter in Zechariah chapter 2. In Zechariah chapter 2, we are um, meeting with, uh, being, uh, receiving a word from the Lord along with the people of God who are in the Babylonian exile. 
So the Babylonians have conquered uh, Israel, have, have taken over uh, the homeland, have destroyed the temple, and the people of God are dispersed. The diaspora has taken place. And many of the leaders, in fact, all of the leaders, have been taken by the Babylonians into Babylon. And so they are, uh, they are utterly destroyed they have been conquered, and they are now dwelling in exile outside of this homeland. Now, why is that so critical? Specifically, I want to tie in the fact that in the Jewish tradition, their understanding of God, God once dwelt with them in the tabernacle, was moved from place to place. When Solomon built his temple, the Holy of Holies, God's very dwelling amongst the people of God, was in Israel. It was in Jerusalem. It was in the temple. And now the temple is destroyed. Their place of worship is destroyed. Their place of connection to God is destroyed. And so they are in a space of lament, of torment. They are experiencing the most excruciating of trials. They are exiled and dispersed. The, the psalmist uh, this writes in Psalm 137. Now, this is a psalm that actually is, uh, is produced during the exile, during the Babylonian exile. And we hear in Psalm 137 the opening verse that might be familiar or ring in your ears. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and we wept when we remembered Zion. By the rivers of Babylon, I imagine this beautiful scene that is just so uh, uh, glorious to behold that would seem as though it would be a place of comfort, a place of connection, a place of power, and yet it was none of those things. It was only a space of weeping and mourning, despair, because all they could think about was what they had lost and the pain of that experience being distant from Zion. So I want you to hear, I want you to hear today that uh, if you are in a space of despair, if you have or are experiencing loss, grief, mourning, or trial, you are not alone. The people of God have been there in Exodus, in Egypt. The people of God have been there in the Babylonian exile. And God's word speaks afresh to you this day. It, it, it uh, again recounts of how God meets with God's people in the midst of uh, while we are yet experiencing that Great trial. And if you are not in that space today and, and are not connecting with a remembrance of what that will be, I hope this becomes a word of assurance for what will certainly come because life is hard. Challenges will come. 
and we will be tempted in those spaces to cry out like David and to say, Lord, keep me as the apple of your eye. I don't know if I have lost favor or lost position with you. That is our temptation. And yet God meets with us there. And again from Zechariah, he says, if, if something or someone has touched you, if harm has come your way, uh, I want you to know that they have touched the apple of my eye, that you, the people of God, are the apple of God's eye. But in Zechariah chapter 2, in verse 7, it clearly states that Babylon, now a personified Babylon, this idea of Babylon as a space of exile and pain is where you live today or might have lived in the past or will live in the future, but it is not your home. Despair is not your home. Anxiety is not your home. Fear is not your home. Your home is with God. And in God, there is no fear. In God, your anxiety is, uh, is, is confounded and peace is produced. I want you to know that uh, Zechariah chapter 2 verse 7 says, Come Zion, come you the people of God, you who live in daughter Babylon, not you whose home is daughter Babylon. For there God moves and draws you out and draws you to himself. This is not the end of your story. Your trial or tribulation is not the end of your story. Now I... I I see in your eyes and, and, and begin to sense a spirit welling up in our room, a, 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 an evidence of assurance because God has seen you this far. God has walked with you and journeyed with you through some heinous and horrible things. And so you can resonate with that truth that that despair was not the end of your story. So let's hear it again. Let's be reminded of it. Again today. You see, the people of, uh, that God was speaking to in Zechariah had received uh, the prophet's word in Jeremiah chapter 25, 11. Jeremiah tells the people of God that their exile will last 70, 70, 70 years. And we are coming to the close of that 70-year period. And the Persians have now conquered the Babylonians. And there is now this fresh ushered in opportunity for peace for the people of Israel. Because the Babylonian captors are no more. And they have begun to reoccupy the land of Israel. And they're in Israel and they're beginning to rebuild. And this is where Haggai and Zechariah are prophesying to the people of God. And they are experiencing tremendous hardship not only in exile, but now as they are being restored and they are wondering, is this actually the time of restoration? Is this what God is accomplishing in us? Are we being restored as a people? Is God with us in this? And so in verse 1, we hear this beautiful image. By the way, this is the third of the nine visions, dreams and visions of the prophet Zechariah. This is the third of them. And we see that an angel of the Lord comes and, uh, and, and begins uh, drawing a measuring line on uh, Jerusalem. 
Did you hear that? Uh, that J Jerusalem will have this measuring line drawn, and they're trying to understand the width and the length of Jerusalem. The width and the length of Jerusalem. They're wondering how big is Jerusalem. And then the one that just did the measuring starts walking away and another angel of the Lord comes and tells that angel, go back to Zechariah and tell him that you're not just measuring the length and the width, but what we've realized is Jerusalem's going to be this different thing, this, this different city, a renewed city. And, and in this, uh, the walls, the length and the width, no more have a, a, a bound, not just to keep people from getting in, but also from to keep people from getting out it's going to now be expansive and we hear that this is now in verse 4 a city without walls now that's like crazy talk uh, in ancient times a city without walls is a city unprotected a city without walls uh, has no chance of survival but this new city that God is creating for God's people is a city without walls, but it has a new wall. In verse 5, God is saying, I myself will be the wall around you, the people of God. I will be your wall. I remember the first time that we sang that last song that we worshiped to together, I was absolutely struck with the spiritual truth. I may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like my enemies are all around, like I am uh, destined for devastation, like there is no chance or, and no opportunity that I will make it out Whole. And yet, that is a figment of the world's imagination. Now, now I know I'm secure because I'm surrounded by you. That phrase, that, that beautiful line that we worship to is rooted in this scripture in Zechariah. That God is now our wall of protection. A wall of fire that shields us and protects us and restores us when we have experienced trauma. God is now our wall. And I think about how profound this must be, this idea that the length and the width of Jerusalem was not enough. Growing up, I had uh, two best friends, Tim and Phil. And Tim and Phil's home and my home were always open to one another. Uh, I never knocked on Phil's door and I never knocked on on Tim's door. I just walked in. Now, as an adult, I think that's kind of creepy. Um, I, I, like, like uh, I, I don't know how appropriate that was, but that was just how it was. And, and uh, our parents never knew where we were going to be eating dinner, there was, but there was always room at the table for us. We always had a bed to sleep in and a meal on the table. There was always space at our mama's tables for each of us. It was always seeming to be expansive and far beyond what we could have imagined. And I called his, mo his mother, uh, Philip and Tim's moms, my mom, and they called my mom their mom because it wasn't about 
Uh, it wasn't about who our literal mom was. It was about who our spiritual mothers were. And this is that image of Jerusalem that God reveals to his people. That the walls have come down so that more room can be made. That there are no longer these strict boundaries that keep people out. But now we need to welcome others in. And I can't imagine how hard this must have been for the people of God to hear. Because in verse 11, it says, Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day. Many nations. Now, this is crazy because the people of Israel, a single nation, were conquered by another nation, taken into exile, living in the midst of that exile, weeping and mourning for 70 years. And then that, co that country was conquered by another country, the Persians. And now they are trying to reestablish their national identity, their they're, they're a safeguard of protection in Israel. And God is saying that when I rebuild this thing, many nations are going to be welcomed in. What a challenging vision the Lord is offering. And yet this is of no surprise as we've covered uh, in this series, God's favorite, as we looked back on the Abrahamic covenant, that God's people would receive God's blessing so that through them, the world would be blessed. From the very beginning, God's vision for the world was a worldwide blessing. God's vision for the people of Israel was to be an instrument of that blessing. And so the world uh, could hear from the very beginning that God was a God that was welcoming more and more and making room for the nations in his holy dwelling place. And it says that as God now has torn down those dividing walls of hostility and welcomed all the nations in. And now that he is the guard, the, the walls that are set up around the people of God, this many nation protection, God is going to live amongst you. In fact, it says it twice. It wants to be sure that we hear it whenever we hear a double uh, uh, iteration in Scripture, especially in back-to-back -back verses. We are, are called to pay attention. In verse 10 and in verse 11, it says, Shout to and be glad, daughter Zion, for I am coming and I will live among you, declares the Lord. I will live among you, declares the Lord. And then in verse, uh, in verse 11, it says, many nations will be joined to you, and on that day you will be my people, and I will live among you. I will live among you. God has established this many-nation community of faith, his people that is now this expansive reality. He is our guard. He is caring for us. We are the apple of his, of his eye, and he is dwelling amongst us. Now, this is foreshadowing. This is foreshadowing that Jesus, God made flesh, would come and dwell among God's people. And God's people, Israel, at that time saw many nations moving in and out of their, of their, uh, of their nation so that God's word might be known throughout the earth. Jesus came and lived among us. And when Jesus went to be with the Father eternally when he ascended, he left God's presence with us so that God now lives amongst us, foreshadowing number 
number two, that the Holy Spirit is coming on us, living in us, and God is still yet here with us. God did not leave us or abandon us or forsake us. God is in us through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And foreshadowing number three, in the final days when all is fulfilled and God returns in Jesus Christ, the final victory is had, we will yet again dwell with God eternally. As it was in the garden at the beginning in creation, when God lived and dwelled with his people so Zechariah prophesied threefold in Jesus, in the Holy Spirit, and in the triune presence of God at the final victory, we will dwell with God. We are dwelling with God. God invites us through the prophet Zechariah to hear how we can experience this great escape. This great escape from trial, tribulation, despair, anxiety, fear. How we can experience this great escape. If you have your Bibles, I want you to look at verse 7. Come Zion, escape. Come Zion, escape. Escape, escape from your living in your Babylon, your literal and your figurative Babylon. And I want you to draw a line, circle the word escape, and then go to verse 13. The conclusion of this third dream, vision from God, in verse 13, it gives us instructions on how we will experience God's great escape. Be still before the Lord, all mankind, because God has roused himself from his holy dwelling. Our battle, our fight is not against flesh and blood, and it is really not even our fight to have it is God's fight, and since it is God's fight, we know that it is God's victory, and our great escape is accomplished in these simple and profound, not passive, but very much active words. Be still before the Lord. Be still before the Lord. You want to escape be still before the Lord. You, you need a reprieve. You need peace. You need comfort. You need restoration. Be still before the Lord. We are to go to the Lord, to be present with the Lord, to know that the Lord is present with us. And in that space, we must simply and profoundly be still. To be with the Lord and trust in the Lord and know that the Lord is accomplishing it on our behalf. If we are to experience this great escape, if we are to enter into this holy space of mama bear, apple of the eye protection, all we must do is be still with the Lord. So today and every day, Make time, prioritize it, 
Slow down. Stop. Be still. And meet with the Lord. Let's pray together. Gracious and loving God, what an extraordinary gift it is to to be uh, able to engage with your word, uh, to to hear from you, to hear uh, the word you had for your people and how that reveals the word you have for us, your people. And so, God, do it again. Do it again. Restore us again. Redeem us again. Move amongst us again. We need you, O God. Just as the people uh, Israel needed you, so we still need you. Your protection, your comfort, your, your, your restoration, we need you, God. We need you. And so, in the stillness of this moment, we meet with you, O oh God. For you are with us. You are in us. You are working for us and for our good. So we are still in your presence. Lord, as we continue in uh, our offering of worship to you, uh, we offer a portion of what you have blessed uh, each of us with to the kingdom-building work of your church. Lord, we ask that you would be glorified in this space and time, that you would bless both the gift and the giver alike. We pray this in Jesus' name.